listening to Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Here's a hint. It's Jesus. This series examines the stories of Jesus dining with friends and foes and everyone in between to learn about how God meets us, how Jesus uh, embodied and practiced hospitality in unexpected ways, and how we perhaps can meet others through the power of a shared meal, a shared word, and a shared vision of a new kind of community and belonging. Here's this week's message. For the first scripture reading, if you'd like to uh, read signs to yourself as I read it aloud, uh, you'll find it in the Pew Bible uh, on page 482. And the reading is uh, Psalm 103, 1 to 4, then 8 to 12. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your inequities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according for our inequities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from Luke's gospel in the seventh chapter, verses 36 through 50. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. But Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, uh, speak. Now a certain creditor had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more, do you think? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And again, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join me now in a moment of prayer. Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, descend in power this morning to give vitality and clarity to your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. And if I've asked for too little, do even more. Amen. Now, the editors of the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible saw fit to title this morning's gospel passage, A Sinful Woman Forgiven. But I would like to tag this text and our exchange this morning, A Faithful Woman. A Faithful Woman. We are in a sermon series called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner about the stories of meals Jesus shares with people in Luke's gospel. And in the first installment last week, we were reminded how a shared meal is a kind of meeting place, an undefined space in between where hospitality provides a a paradoxical approach to welcoming the stranger, the other, even the sinner as a friend. Last week, we heard how Jesus accepted an invitation to go and dine with a bunch of tax collectors and other sinners This week, Jesus receives a very different kind of invitation to go and dine at the table of Simon, who we're told is one of the righteous, rule-following Pharisees. Now, the invitation itself is a little strange. Why would Simon the Pharisee want to invite Jesus to his table? After all, Jesus hung around with outcasts and reprobates and deplorables. Simon's own inner monologue in the story, though, gives us a hint as to his motives. Uh, New Testament scholar uh, Michelle Beth Dinkler points out that it is rare in ancient literature to hear the inner thoughts of a character or to have them speak to themselves, and that Luke tends to use internal monologue exclusively for characters who are not noble or heroic. In fact, Typically, when someone speaks to themselves, it is a sign that they are self-centered. Simon seems curious in his speech to himself to know if this Jesus character is really the prophet he claims to be. 
His invitation may have been a scheme to get an up-close look, to test Jesus as so many Pharisees in that time were wont to do. And what better trap to set for the Son of Man who comes eating and drinking than to invite him to a meal? And so what does Jesus do? He steps into the trap. And he springs it. Well, not so much him as the woman who hears he is there and goes to seek him. When we consider this scene in, our, in its original context, uh, we see that the likely setting uh, was the main room of a house that was likely facing a sort of courtyard or entryway. It may have been open-air dining, dining al fresco. Uh, unlike in our current sort of single-family home model where you look at the front of the house and you wonder, I wonder what's going on in there. Homes in the ancient Near East, particularly larger homes, would have had this sort of open openness to the front of them, which allowed the public to see in, even for the poor to come into that courtyard to wait for a chance to collect leftovers from the meal or receive the generosity of tipsy party guests as they were on their way out at the end of the night. Thus, the appearance of a strange woman might not be the strangest thing in the world, but the appearance of a woman known in the city to be a sinner was a shock to Simon. The posture that the dinner guests would have all adopted is they probably would have been sort of lying semi-reclined around the table in a, in a semicircle uh, with their feet sort of out behind them. Um, not really how we think of sitting at a dinner table, but that's how the norm would have been in that time. And so, so likely what happened was this woman came in and approached Jesus from behind as he was watching the other guests and began again, he said, immediately to start washing his feet with her tears. The meaning of those tears is also a kind of mystery in this text. Were they tears of sadness and regret over a life that she regretted? Were they tears of joy that she had finally found the Messiah, the one she had heard about, the Christ? Or maybe... Maybe they were mixed emotions, tears that were just an expression of some deep, unnameable outpouring of her spirit, groaning and sighing deeper than words, which is, which is how our spirits reach out to God. Whatever meaning her tears may have had, they represented a very tangible and physical expression of care towards Jesus. It was a decidedly radical departure from normal table manners. Now, of course, Simon takes in this scene and he says to himself, this guy can't be a prophet. If he knew who this was and what she does, no way he would let her touch him. Many have taken the description of this woman's very public sinfulness to mean that she was a prostitute, one who plies her trade on street corners and is easily identifiable by the kind of indecent clothing she would have been wearing. Following this line of thought, Simon could tell just by looking at her that she was a sinner. But here's where Jesus turns the whole scene on its head. Because Jesus, too, sees her clearly just by looking at her. Only he sees something very different. He sees her love and her care. He sees the 
hospitality that she is offering him, even though she's not even a guest at this meal, let alone its host. A prostitute normally sells counterfeit love and affection. They sacrifice their body in exchange for monetary gain. And given the fact that she came bearing an alabaster jar filled with perfumed ointment, one can surmise that business was probably pretty good for her. But in the eyes of Simon the Pharisee, to be touched by someone like this is to be deceived and connived right out of the righteousness of God. To be anointed by the perfumed oil of a sex worker? Outrageous. Disturbing. Disgusting even. But Jesus can tell. He can tell that he is not just another client to this woman. He can tell the difference between real and counterfeit love because he doesn't see just with his eyes, but with a heart full of grace. This is a story about how Jesus sees beyond appearances that normally stop folks short. It reminds me of that old camp song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. It is the eyes of our hearts, so the song goes, that allows us to perceive the grace of God. But too often, we allow the vision of the eyes in our heads to lead us into judgment and condemnation. That's what Simon did. I think it's what many of us would have done in the same place, if we're honest with ourselves, if we had a sex worker arrive unannounced at our doorstep for dinner. More than just seeing, though, Jesus hears with ears that can discern even one's own inner monologue. He hears through the judgments of our hearts. He hears Simon's judgment, even though he only spoke it to himself. And so Jesus responds, saying, I have something to say to you. And you can almost imagine Simon sort of going, what, what, (laughs) teacher? (laughs) You talking to me? Caught up in his own little world of judgment, he was shaken by Jesus' words. But he said, speak, speak. Unlike those who judge in silence, you see, Jesus doesn't keep his judgment to himself. He has the courage to speak up on behalf of those who may not be able to speak for themselves. Jesus points out to Simon that indeed his host at that meal is not really being a good host. He hasn't washed, offered to water to wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss, as was the custom. But this unnamed woman, this guest who's not really a guest, is in fact doing what the host is supposed to do at this meal. Jesus sees in her what is lacking in Simon. He sees genuine faith. Now, faith, like love, is often expressed in tangible, visible ways, but ultimately, Its reality is hidden from our eyes. We surmise the faith of others, and indeed our own, by how we act and appear in the world. But true faith, true faith is a response to an invisible and intangible grace that comes to us from God through Jesus Christ. Faith comes in the tumult of our inner being When Jesus comes and the storms of desire and envy and animosity are stilled by his words, peace, be still. 
God's action comes first in faith. And that's true in this story as much as it is true for any of us. When Jesus describes the woman to Simon, he says that her sins have already been forgiven. That present perfect state of forgiveness was already hers before she even entered that dining room. Hence, her great expression of love. Whether she realized it or not, it was that very forgiveness she had received from God that prompted her expression of hospitality to Jesus. To all who know her, she was the sinner in the city, a sinful woman. To them, this woman was barely a person, but to Jesus, she was already beloved. And this is the true challenge of Christ's hospitality. For us to see not with our eyes or to perceive through the judgments of our sense of what is normal and decent, but instead to recognize in others the gracious change that God has already made in us. It comes with a different sort of perception, a more generous and kind form of hospitality that rather than keeping others at arm's length, invites them in quite literally to our lives. The challenge to open the eyes of our hearts is given to each of us, but it is profoundly present in the collective vision of the church as well. In some ways, this church has an acute awareness of what has come before, of a thriving past that that bespeaks the goodness and the grace and the abundance of God, memories of ham and bean dinners of yesteryear and talent shows and Sunday school rooms that burst with children, They all express the vision of a church as a thriving community, a vision that seems more like a nostalgic dream in today's church. The difficulty for we who have that backward-looking appreciation for the grace of the past is ultimately to turn it towards the future with the faithful generosity of Jesus rather than the judgmental vision of the Pharisees. Those who dream of the idealized community, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once warned, tend to demand that it be fulfilled by God and by others and by themselves. They enter a community of Christians with demands and set up their own law and judge one another and even God accordingly. Bonhoeffer talks about how the demands for righteousness or the demands of past custom weasel their way into the life of the church through those who believe it is their duty to hold people to those accounts. But Bonhoeffer says, Christian community is not some future ideal that we realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And so we enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. We do not complain about what God does not give us. Rather, we are thankful for what God does give us daily. I don't think Jesus was complaining about his host's lack of hospitality, but he pointed it out to show all the more how much grace he was being shown by this woman who had had her sins forgiven. 
When we encounter real people in the real world with all the real problems that they come with, we are often confronted by our own discomfort with the reality that we cannot live up to the words and deeds and demands that we set for ourselves. But Bonhoeffer reminds us that by accepting that one word and deed that really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, that we can be made new and better. When we encounter the reality of God's grace, not only do we, as the psalmist says, bless the Lord, but we become that grace for others. Knowing that God's grace is enough, that even a woman renowned for sinning can be seen as a faithful child of God, what possibilities, what possibilities can we imagine in our own life and in the life of this church for what God's grace may do? Despite what the world may say, in this family of Christ, when we welcome all, we are indeed in good company. And so let us bless the Lord. Forget not God's benefits for you and for me, for that faithful woman, and for all whom Jesus calls faithful. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message was a feast for your ears, that it fed you body and spirit. And I hope that you will come back and join us again next week here with Sermons by the Park. To find out more about Union Congregational Church, you can always visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media, at Church by the Park. The theme music for this week's message is by Carmen Maria and Edu Espinal. It's called Ratatouille's Kitchen. Now, from all of us here at Union, God's grace and peace go with you. Ba-ba-da-ba.